to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Creator, Redeemer, Spirit, encircle us with your mystery that we may join the feast seated at the table with all creation. Amen. Well, today is Trinity Sunday. I love this Sunday. Uh, I love the Trinity. In fact, I think the mystery of the Trinity is one of the main reasons that I am a Christian today. But I also think that today in Western Christianity, we are mostly presented the Trinity as an intellectual teaching that we're supposed to affirm uh, and rarely introduced to Trinity as a mystery to experience. And what I want today is to begin to reclaim the lived experience of the Trinity. If you've been around Pearl and have heard me preach before, you probably know I like to talk about narratives. <laughs> the, the stories we live within, the stories we tell ourselves. Uh, but recently, I've been asking myself if, if story is really the best metaphor to engage with our faith. Uh, I'm a person who lives in my head a lot. <laughs> uh, this week, I'm traveling, but most Sundays, I'd be in my office, and you would see shelves and shelves and shelves and shelves full of books behind me uh, because I find my way in the world through words. But body? Not not so much. Uh, <laughs> a few years back, I realized I was totally disconnected from my embodied self. Uh, here's a few examples. When I was young, uh, I would I would walk to school every day, uh, just a few blocks, and I would carry my bright orange Snoopy lunch pail with me in my right hand, and I would walk to school. And as I'd walk, I'd be daydreaming and thinking and looking at the flowers and the ginkgo trees that lined the walk to school, and I would just be thinking and imagining. And then uh, regularly, I would look down at my right hand, and the pail would be totally gone. (laughs) And I would look behind me, and the lunch pail would be back a few hundred yards behind me on the ground, because I had been so lost in my thoughts that I just let go of it and let it fall to the ground. Uh, Another example, uh, working at a church in California, I would often find myself deeply anxious after Sunday services. I was like really like feeling tight and tense and I couldn't figure it out and I, I couldn't rest. I thought, what's the source of this emotional turmoil? What's the psychological thing that's going on in my head that I can't, I don't know subconsciously. And then one day I realized there's a big, big, big carafe of coffee in the church lobby. And I just keep refilling and refilling and refilling my cup throughout the morning. And I realized I was drinking like 11 cups of coffee and I was just really overcaffeinated and it wasn't psychological trauma. (laughs) I think increasingly that our Western spirituality is just as cut off from our embodiment 
Uh, and and I'm beginning to think that narrative, uh, though though a really helpful way of thinking about faith, is also a way of staying disembodied. Uh, it can be just ideas or intellectual beliefs. And one place that this really causes trouble is with the Trinity. When you hear the word Trinity, what comes into your mind? Uh, perhaps you hear replaying some explanation or a, a teaching or a metaphor for the Trinity you were given, uh, something that connected with you. Uh, maybe you struggle with Trinity. Uh, it doesn't make any sense or it doesn't mean anything or the symbols seem patriarchal or outdated. Maybe you see an image, uh, maybe a symbol like a triangle or three intersecting circles or an icon like Rublev's Trinity icon, which we've shown quite a few times around here. But, but what if Trinity is not so much idea to believe, an idea to believe, but rather a mystery to encounter, a way of relating to the divine in our daily and embodied lives? I would suggest that Trinity is not a doctrine, it's a mystery. Now, a mystery is not something that we affirm or believe in. You can't memorize a mystery. You, you hold it gently. You allow it to unfold. You look at it again and again from various angles because there's always more to see. Trinity, like the Christian mysteries of incarnation and resurrection, doesn't do well when it's pinned down with language to a single meeting. Uh, mystery will always outgrow categories because mystery points beyond itself to realities that are at once too large to name and too common to miss. They're with us every day and, and more than we can ever name, like breath, like love, like being human. Incarnation, Resurrection, Trinity. If they're not lived, they're not much use. The poet and the writer Kathleen Norris was once teaching poetry to children as an artist in residence uh, in elementary schools. And so she was in a fifth grade class and one child, given freedom to write whatever he wanted, uh, shared with her a poem he wrote called My Very First Dad. I remember him like God in my heart. I remember him in my heart like the clouds overhead and strawberry ice cream and bananas when I was a little kid. But the most I remember is his love, as big as Texas when I was born. Uh, Norris was impressed. Uh, the child just told Norris that uh, he'd been born in Texas. And only later did the teacher share with Norris that the boy had never known his father. Uh, the boy's father had skipped town the day he was born. But the most I remember is his love, as big as Texas when I was born. This poem is a mystery. Mystery draws us up short and tells us something vast, something holy, something bigger than words is happening here, and something so close and familiar like a child, weaving his father's love around himself by naming it as big as Texas, so no matter how far his father ran, the boy was met by that love. That's a mystery that halts you in your tracks and demands that you wonder. 
See, poetry gestures beyond itself toward embodied realities. The poem uses word to gesture at something we experience, which can't really be spoken. And in a similar way, the art form of iconography uses image to point at something which can't be painted. Both help us encounter mystery in our lived experience. Icons used for religious meditation throughout church history suggest a way of orienting our whole embodied self in relation to the world, to live into a world we cannot yet name. Today, I want to spend some time together looking at some various attempts to bring the mystery of Trinity into icons. And I want to explore how these icons image ways of holding our bodies within the cosmos, uh, because this is what Trinity is all about. Just what is the deepest reality? What is the heart of what is going on all around us? So we'll start with an image, which I think fails to be an icon. Um, because icons are not just visual aids for a doctrine or an idea. Uh, and that's what we see here, uh, which is actually, I think we have some, this is like horrifying. <laughs> this is an idea of the Trinity, uh, this trio-faced Trinity, which was actually a popular image uh, for a time until it was outlawed, outlawed by the Pope as being deeply unhelpful and frankly pretty creepy. Uh, that's, that's weird. In the ancient church, the Trinity was gestured at more than specifically pictured. So, for example, here we see a dome above a baptistry from about 400 CE. At the apex of this dome is the Kiro, uh, a widely used symbol for Christ. It's the first two letters of the, of the word Christ in Greek, the, the key and the, and the rho, uh, overlaid with one another. And here it appears in triple, gesturing toward an outward moment. The baptized were sharing in this outward moment of the triune love of God, which was outpouring in all directions. Uh, so pause here and imagine this outward expansion. What does this motion stir for you? What does this say about what the heart of reality is like? Two popular categories of icons persisted throughout much of the medieval period in Western and Eastern Christianity. And the vertical icon is the most familiar to us in the West. Uh, we have, for example, the baptism of Christ uh, with the Father and the Dove for the Holy Spirit and, and Christ. Uh, we have the, sorry about that, oops. We have the divine fatherhood, uh, where this one, I'd like to call this one like the, the nested Russian dolls, uh, because you have the, the big father and the smaller Jesus and the really tiny dove spirit down here. Uh, and you have what's called the throne of grace icon, where the father and the spirit uh, are above the crucified Christ. Uh, and the, the, the father's holding aloft that cross. Uh, these first we notice here the diminishment of the spirit uh, in all of these icons as the spirit tends to, to show up as quite small. Uh, one theologian calls this hunt the dove. Uh, where do you see the, the dove in the picture? Uh, but also, of course, we notice the vertical hierarchy, uh, the, the downward motion. And these icons ask us to imagine the cosmos as an organized chain of being from greatest to least with God far above us. So pause and imagine bodily, this movement, top to bottom, uh, power coming down from far above you to meet you all the way down here on the ground. This, this upward to lower motion. 
What does that image make you think of if that's the heart of reality? We find then a set of horizontal icons, which are a bit less common in our Western imagination. Uh, this icon is from the Ethiopian church. I call it the triplet deity. Uh, you see a lot of this, you know, trip, kind of a triplet imagery. Um, and you can find this in the West, uh, but again, with the spirit more diminished. as a horizontal axis, but the spirit's, again, uh, made smaller. Uh, though we lose here the stress on the vertical in favor of the horizontal, uh, these, there actually still remains an implied verticality. Uh, uh, because the stresses on the Father, Son, and the Spirit are co-equal, but they're far above us. Uh, so they're up here equal, but we are down here and still subject to authority. Again, and, uh, and um, pause and imagine this line extending far above you and you down below. And what does that motion stir up for you? If that's what the heart of reality is like, what does that mean for you? I think that for many of us, some version of the vertical or horizontal icon is behind how we imagine divinity up there or authority and judgment coming downward. Uh, I, I don't mean the idea of these. Many of us have deconstructed the idea of a wrathful or a judgmental deity far above us. But in terms of the sense of the world that we hold in our bodies, uh, what what we feel about what creates, what redeems, what inspires us. We often feel cut off from uh, the far up above us or at the mercy of power far up above us. But there are other ways of encountering the mystery of Trinity. Uh, to start with, uh, Hildegard von Bingen, a, mystery, uh, a mystic from the 11th century, created this icon of the Trinity. Notice that the, the Christ has human form, uh, but creator and spirit are merely circular fields of energy surrounding and womb-like. As the divine energy flows outward, Christ brings our humanity straight into the center in union with the divine. And we'll see this circular motion again and again in this set of icons. Another familiar icon is Rublev's Trinity. Uh, the Trinity here depicted as three angels seated at a meal. And here again, we see the circle of divinity, but with a stress on mutual self-giving. And notice how the heads are inclined to one another in mutual giving and sharing. But there's an open area as well, and this open area is magnetic. It draws us to join the feast. Uh, this image has captured our imaginations recently and is being redrawn in many inclusive forms, like this version of the icon, which I love quite a bit, uh, by artist Kelly Lattimore. And here we see the, the triune being uh, as marginalized women seated around a rainbow-colored altar. Next, we have William Blake's sketch of the Trinity, which introduces us to the divine circle in its outstretched overflow. Here, the arms of the brooding spirit and the arms of the crucified one outstretched toward all creation, whereas while the arms of the creator embrace the humanity of the Christ. So in Blake's image, overflow and embrace are at the heart of divinity. And finally, one last icon, uh, this one, which I love particularly by Marlene Schultz, who is a, a Catholic nun, combines the divine circle with movement in all directions, up, back down, spiraling, dance. 
The circle has broken open here, and the divine is coming down, embracing, returning, and moving outward in openness. And the emphasis here is on relationship. So notice a few things in this set of icons. Uh, one, the ambiguity of gender and authority. There's no clear father and son. No one is above or below. Notice also the circular motion. Uh, all of these icons include the image of a circle spinning, rotating like a dance, moving us toward inclusion. And notice the relationality. All of these images depict a trinity highly engaged in giving and receiving, knowing and being known, loving and being loved. What are we meant to do with the mystery of Trinity? I think it's not just to believe in the idea, but to live into an embodied reality. For example, we enact the triune circle of Rublev's icon every time we take Eucharist of Pearl. Uh, when we're together in person, we move forward to take our place at an open table, embodying our response to the call of the divine. You are invited to come. I know that many of us have worked and struggled over the past years to deconstruct our patriarchal, authoritarian, or judgmental ideas of God. But these reimagined icons suggest ways that living with the Trinity can deepen our experience of God with us through embodied experiences. So, for example, here are some ways you might engage the Trinity. You might walk a labyrinth and allow the circular motion of the steps to embody the dance of the divine, experiencing that the deepest reality, the heart of reality, is the delight of a dance. You might allow yourself to be embraced by a loved one and picture the warmth and belonging of love between you emanating outward, outward, outward. And experience that love as the deepest reality of creation. You might set yourself a table with three other chairs, three empty chairs with you seated, and imagine divinity sitting with you, delighted to share a moment of rest and pause, savoring your presence. That being known is the deepest reality of creation. Or you might use your imagination to set your body in the middle of the triune dance, and that's what I want to invite us to now, a short meditation on the triune dance. So wherever you now are, uh, I invite you to breathe deeply. And take a moment. You might want to stand or, or plant your feet firmly on the ground and take a deep breath. And picture yourself, your body, at the center of three large rings moving outward from you. And they're revolving slowly around you, warm and safe. In the outmost ring, you can see all that sustains you, all that gives you life, all that warmly welcomes you. What do you imagine there? In the second ring, one closer, is all that brings you mercy, healing, all that has renewed you. 
every person who tells you you belong. Who do you see there? And in the center ring with you, right within you, like a glowing light in your chest, is all that inspires, invigorates, delights, and draws you toward growth and life. A deep breath bringing energy to you. What do you feel there? Allow yourself to be surrounded by creator, redeemer, by spirit. These circles turning in a dance. And you are welcome to join. You see, this is Trinity. And this is reality. Trinity is about so much more than how many persons God is. Trinity is about living into reality. The most deep reality is relational. The most true existence is self-giving. The most beautiful way is love. Knowing and being known. Including and being included. Embracing and being embraced. When we embody these experiencing, we are experiencing the heart of the divine. And this is why we confess a triune God. A God who is for us, creating and sustaining. A God who is with us, redeeming and resurrecting. A God who is in us, renewing and inspiring. This Trinity Sunday, may we all find our place in the divine dance and live into its reality with our bodies and with our hearts. Will you pray with me? Creator, Redeemer, Spirit, encircle us with your mystery that we may join the feast, seated at the table with all creation. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.